We really want to teach acupuncturists to begin to have more appreciation for these structures, which actually bundled together in between the channel system, the myofascial channels. And you can differentiate because the artery, nerve, and vein are all bundled together, but we can separate, we can differentiate. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. It would seem that our focus, intention, or plans have an impact on the world. It's not just that Google picks up on that you're searching for plane tickets and all of a sudden you're seeing ads for travel wear and rental cars. That certainly does happen. But beyond that, it would seem that this yang-infused world of turbid form and yin, it seems to respond as we focus our intention. Make a plan, or better yet, actually start off on a new course of action. Perhaps you're familiar with the uncanny feeling that goes with beginner's luck, that the first time you try something with a certain amount of attention and willingness, you're rewarded with results far beyond what's expected. Or maybe you've been on a walkabout, set off on a journey with a loose destination, and along the way, find all kinds of troubles, but also unusual amounts of kindness and support. There's a funny luck that accompanies a traveler on a voyage of discovery. I'd go so far as to say the world is not inert, nor unresponsive to our attention, actions, and choices. It responds in ways that arrive into our sensorium as synchronicity, lucky breaks, and dogged obstacles that are worth solving. It shows up in our clinical work as well. Beyond the mechanics of our work, there is often enough the issue behind the issue. The the childhood strategy that worked well enough back then, but is the chain that holds us back now. Or the thing that we dare not voice, lest we jinx the situation or set ourselves up for yet another round of disappointment. East Asian medicine is curious stuff. Some of it fits into our Western perspective of linear reality and salvation. And that's a comfort for us, and especially for our patients. It feels good to be able to grasp and understand the roots of our illness and the course of action that might alleviate that particular suffering. But there is a lot of medicine that is non-rational. It invites us into a wordless sense of appreciation. It invites the insights that can arise from stillness and bring the past into the present for a moment of reconciliation. It's not unlike those journeys where we have more of an aim than an itinerary. The world responds to our focus, which does not mean that we control the world, but like working with our patients, even an attentive touch to the pulse or the abdomen can begin to change their physiology. Even just making an appointment can begin the process of change. How often have you heard people say, well, when I called, I had this particular problem, but now that I'm here, it seems better. And then there are the folks who have not noticed anything dramatic after four visits, but you probe a bit and you'll find their sleep is different or they're more kind to their spouse. Indeed, focus, it's a curious thing. 
These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period 
on your new Jane account. Heaven, Earth, Human, Jing Qi Shen, the one, the two, the 10,000 things. We are constantly discerning the differences that make a difference, ever widening and narrowing our attention and our focus. In today's conversation with Jeffrey Don and Mark Petruzzi, we explore the matrix of qi, blood, and fluids using an appreciative touch to discern where we might be able to help and the vital role of using our attention so as to be able to perceive where the problem is actually located. I love the theory and poetic language of our medicine, but beyond that, the ways of connecting without words and having the capacity to follow to where we are being led is a part of our practice that can lead our hands to the places where our minds would not imagine. The wisdom of the body is there if we are still and attentive enough to listen. Let's get into this. Jeffrey Dan and Mark Petruzzi, welcome to Geological. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So you guys, you're both Japanese acupuncturists. We've all got an idea what that might mean. We'll get into that as we get further into this conversation. I know that you're doing some work together. In fact, you got a class coming up. Love the title of it. This is how geeky of a Chinese medicine practitioner I am. Qi, blood, and fluids. I'm like, ooh, that sounds good. And I'm curious to know what has brought you guys to this kind of a topic. Because when I think of qi, blood, and fluids, I'm kind of thinking of old school osteopaths and the kind of work that they do. And I know that Japanese acupuncturists put their hands on people in very, how do I say it, attentive ways. I'm curious to know what you guys are cooking up. What brought you to this? And I guess the main question is, what are you exploring? What's got your interest? What's got your juice right now? Well, maybe I'll start and Mark will contribute next. Uh, I think for me, Acupuncture is essentially a manual medicine, although a lot of people approach it as an energetic medicine. Mm. It's appreciated through our hands and our through how we're holding and sensing the needle and the response so that the correspondence, I think, that both of us found between the Japanese refined, delicate palpation and needle techniques had a resonance with the osteopathic work that has been infiltrating our profession, I think, in good ways and more and more since Dan Bensky and Chip Chase particularly have really opened that gate. Yeah, and I think both of us coming from the background of body work as well as traditional Japanese acupuncture, they're both coming about it from the same place. We're just reading the body through touch. And we're just allowing the body to guide us. And with all of these different complex interactions and interrelationships that we can kind of sometimes go into, the body often will clarify that no matter how complicated the case is that walks into our door. Mark, I, I love it how you say this. We just read the body through touch. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> that's all <laughs> that's all that's so simple and this touches on something that you just said jeffrey this is near and dear to my heart that our work is a manual medicine 
-hmm. I often hear acupuncture being referred to as an energetic medicine. And honestly, I've got no idea what to think about that. I don't even know how to make sense of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I hear about energetic this or energetic that. I just might be an old school Midwest boy at this point. I often have a hard time wrapping my mind around that because my mind can go in a million directions. But putting my hands on somebody, that kind of like concrete experience, that's a whole different kettle of fish. So you make it sound easy. Just put your hands on and listen or just hands on and work. I'd like to go more into how we learn to pay attention with our hands. How you can get to the point where someone like you, Mark, can say, well, just put your hands on and read the body. Because I think that is a practice and a skill that is cultivated over time and a lot of attention. Well, I think all of this medicine is a skill that becomes cultivated and practiced over years and decades. So it's just like anything else. It's just like questioning is a skill and listening is a skill. But listening with your hands is a skill too. And it does take practice and refinement and a knowledge base of knowing one, what's underneath your hands. But once you delve into that little pool, it does actually simplify things because a lot of times we see patients that have complex issues because we get patients that are referred that have, uh, well, you know, I saw this doctor and I saw that doctor and, uh, you know, they say everything's fine, but I'm having these symptoms or they have underlying conditions of cancer overlaid with this and that. And so it seems like it's this big overwhelming presentation that's walking into your office. But if you're able to not get caught up into that and yeah, we just start with laying our hands on our patients and see what their pulse says and see what the abdomen says and palpating the channels. It actually clarifies a lot of what's going on with all of that. And we could find what is the underlying maybe root imbalance, we may say from East Asian medicine, or the main area of dysfunction is from an osteopathic perspective. But either way, we're just looking to get to the root cause or the primary cause that's affecting the system as a whole. I also think that as acupuncturists, we have that capacity. Everyone is trained to really be attuned and listen to the radial pulse. And how can we take that palpatory sensitivity of surface, middle, depth, quality, shape, size, and apply that to touching anywhere in the body? And clearly, the ancient wisdom of books like the Huang Di Neijing they talk about every organ and every tissue has its own energetic. And how do we actually palpate a liver energy versus a lung energy? It's there. They are different constructions with different rates of uh, metabolism. And that these all can be manually appreciated and assessed and supported. Thank you for that idea that I can take the sensitivity and sort of the mindset of feeling a pulse and use that same thing that I already know with the pulse and move it over to the viscera mm -hmm. to understand what might the lungs say, what might the liver say. So that's, I grasp the idea, but if I wanted to practice that more in my work, how would I go about that? Do I just start with like, okay, I'm going to do this like I would do the pulse or are there other things to attend to? 
Well, I think a very easy way to start, maybe not easy, but a very direct way and one that we're all familiar with is we're engaging into the radial artery at the pulse at the lung nine area. We can find other vasculature that we can start to engage with. An easy one, and there's a very strong tie into relationship with, would be maybe in and around kidney three mm-hmm. at the posterior tibial artery. And so we can start to sink into that vessel. And there are differences, but we could start to appreciate it in the same manner that we look at the overall pulse. So the rate, depth, strength, right? the width of it, the flow, the distinction, and start to maybe see how that's expressing itself from other areas. So I think that's an easy way to begin. Right. And I think in that vein, clearly the classics understood that when you see that the majority of all the yuan source points are arterial points. They were palpating those arteries as chi and blood moving through them, not just the uh, the radial artery. And the classics really understood that each organ had its own way of expressing energy, whether it was things would spread or settle or rise, and how the lung chi uh, has its pattern. So these things can be felt through the tissues. And I, I think two things here. One is the differentiation of Wei Qi and Ying Qi. Well, it's a very profound sense to me of how you begin to feel energy and quality through these superficial layers, right? The differentiation is that the skin embryologically comes from the ectoderm, same as the brain and the nervous system, where the yin qi, the nutritive qi that is in the superficial fascia, that's where the muscles and the fascia come from. So just on that level, before we have to get down to the, the channel level or the sinew channel, there's a lot of information right there about how the way and the yin are in harmony or not that can be palpated. What's the quality of that? those superficial tissues? So... Let me make sure I'm following this. The way she, we would feel at the surface, we put like our hand on maybe someone's belly or on their arm or, or wherever, mm-hmm. and very superficial. We're not really pressing. We're just kind of hanging out at the surface. And then the ing chi is more as we move into the fascial layer. You don't go all the way down to the bone. No. So if you were palpating it over an organ, would you go like all the way down to pressing into the organ or... Where do I place my attention with that? I think that's one of the things that I've learned from the osteopathic approach is how I can lay my hand over, let's say, uh, the rib cage, but be able to have my intention and attention sink through the superficial fascia and muscles above the rib cage to sink through to actually begin to appreciate the quality, am I in the lungs or am I in the dense, the open alveolar quality of the lungs, or am I in a blood-filled density of the liver? These things can be felt by appreciating through the layers of the body to actually reach the Zongfu organs themselves. And I think also, Michael, you'd mentioned something about, you know, how do I kind of process this in my mind of thinking about whether I'm feeling here or there? And I think one of the key elements is that we want to try not to think. 
and we want to try to feel, you know, both of these mm. aspects, the traditional Japanese acupuncture and the osteopathic realms, right? They're all about subtlety and specificity, but refinement. Mm. So refinement of touch and we're really just attending and listening. So we're there and now, now we're feeling what's underneath our hands. What's the quality of the sensation? And that's how we'll differentiate more, whether it's more of this kind of chi-like electrical discharge, maybe going through the fascia or through the nerves, or are we down a little bit more onto the vascular level where we're getting that blood flow? Or is it more of this kind of boggy, more fluid movement, say, related to the lymph? Ah, okay. So I've had little experience studying with Dan and Chip. Mm -hmm. And I've got such a thinking mind. I am constantly like having to take that guy and like stick him over in the corner. And you know, I'm promised I'm coming <laughs> back to you, Mr. Thinking Mind, but it's so often there. And, and one of the things that, that I hear you guys talking about, and I feel like one of the reasons I'm kind of drawn to this kind of stuff, even though it's not my first language, so to speak, is that there is something exactly what you're talking about. There's a presence and a sensing without thinking. And I love the word that you guys use appreciate. You're just there mm -hmm. appreciating it. That's a very inviting word. That's a very inviting sense to appreciate. You know, you, you appreciate art, you appreciate other people, you appreciate nature. It's uh, kind of a communication that there's a softness to it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yes. When I returned from Beijing and had the good fortune to study with Wang Juyi, in his, as his first foreign cohort. And I went back to Japan to visit the, one of my first teachers who was a body worker and wanted to, he was a, a Shinto priest. And I wanted to challenge him in my youth uh, with how much he really knew now about that five element theory and yin yang and the whole channel system. And he actually laughed at me. He said, that's wonderful knowledge. It's all in your head. But where is your heart and where is your hands? That's where the healing happens. And so for me, that's over the, the decades, it's been an important part not to lay my conceptions on the person's body. I have a number of different conceptual frameworks that we can jump from one to the other to see which one is giving us some attraction here. But it's really more like, being open to what that person's body is trying to communicate with us. It's, again, that listening. Yeah. And that idea of appreciation. And Michael, you know, you said you're, you're in your head and you're thinking and you're learning. You know, it's not to say that we're not going to be doing all of that too. But the idea is that we're going to have this knowledge ingrained in our mind, but we can kind of put it towards the back. Mm. So we know the channel interrelationships. We know the anatomical tissues of what's underneath our hands. And now we know maybe what the patient's complaints are, and then we can go in and now we're going to settle into that tissue and appreciate what's there. And then it does, it becomes exciting, right? So you're saying it sounds inviting, but it really, the human body is an incredible thing, right? And so to be able to just feel for and allow it to guide us, it's much smarter than we are. So if we can just tap into that innate knowledge, uh, that's really going to allow us to give the most optimal treatments for our patients. Yes. I would say from my work of doing acupuncture over the years, indeed, there is something for us to do as the practitioner. But more and more, I feel like we do our best work when we're guided by our patient. 
Right. And the needle, like Jeffrey said earlier, acupuncture is a manual medicine. Mm. We're all drawn to that. Obviously, that's why we're having this conversation. And the needle becoming an extension of your hands, but then your hands become an extension of you. Right. Shido Denmai has that expression of Hariwahito Nadi. And so acupuncture is an expression of your humanity. It's basically an expression of yourself. So your hands become an extension of that knowledge and that understanding and really of your compassion and your caring. These junctures of from the osteopathic world, many times in the Burrell teachings, you know, they talk about how they explain manipulation. Right? The, the term manipulation is to care for with your hands from an osteopathic perspective. And when I was initially learning with my main teacher, traditional Japanese acupuncture, he was discussing the character Anma, which is Japanese massage. So the first character, An, is literally it's to push, right, or to touch, mm-hmm. but it's broken up into three different radicals. So it's a radical of palpation. And then next to it, we have the kind of roof for a house and then a mother holding a child. So to touch with a mother's love. Mm. And so, again, it's just that expression. So when we lay our hands on our patients and we're working in that manner, you're saying just we're guided. And so we're being guided by the patient. But then the patient also feels not only that knowledge, but that caring and compassion. And it, it alters the treatment. And I think one of the, the important aspects of the addition of the osteopathic knowledge is that it represents a Western understanding of the differentiation of tissues. And so if we have also that in our mind, I'm thinking about how many years I did shiatsu and I was only feeling muscles and tendons and how much I missed by feeling, oh, there's a nerve there. There's an artery there. There's fluid in there that is surrounding the muscle tissue so that I think for contemporary practitioners that the addition of more refined, specific anatomical knowledge is helpful for us to be able to differentiate which energetic pathway is being affected. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Jeffrey, I love your description of this. You can just go with like the muscles in the sinews. And that's easy to feel. That's not hard. Mm-hmm. Anyone can do that really easily, very quickly. You can learn that in a day to also appreciate the nerves and the fluid in the tissue. 
and how the vessels feel. Mm-hmm. It's becoming more intimate with the landscape. Yes. So much more in there. You know, initially we learn about the channels, the channel, right? The mysterious channels. We learn about that and we see these maps and it's like, oh yeah, there's these lines here and it, it kind of maybe means something. And then we spend the next however many years we have in our practice discovering what those channels actually are. I suspect those people listening will recognize how they've experienced their ideas of the channels changing over time. You guys, I suspect over the course of years that you've worked, you have a very different relationship with the channels than you did when you began. And I'm thinking about how as we get to know something in its natural state, so to speak, not in our mind, not from what our teachers told us, but in its natural state, there's a relationship that gets formed. Mm -hmm. There's a communication that goes back and forth more easily. Yeah, I think Wang Juyi was really significant within the Chinese TCM community to really bring channel palpation back to its importance in contrast, as he often pointed out, to the herbalization of acupuncture point uh, indications and uses. And I think there's been an overemphasis on points and not enough on the points within the channels. And, and certainly the classics say, oh, check above and below the points. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, the points are useful, clearly. But I go back to, for example, let's say you have a lateral epicondylitis and I have got a cello player, a tennis player, and uh, a bass player. Mm. And all of them can have lateral epicondylitis, but you have to find, they all don't have exactly the same points. You have to find what the Japanese call the currently alive point Mm -hmm. for that person. We're not treating a chart. A chart gets us in the neighborhood, but it doesn't unlock the door to the house. I would say that all of the most influential acupuncture teachers I've had have said something similar. Mm -hmm. That you got to know the map, you got to know the neighborhood, and then you got to figure out where it is Mm -hmm. right now. And not only where is it, but how does it want to be interacted with Mm -hmm. right now? And having that understanding that you guys were in conversation with before of the anatomical relationships underneath, that's also going to guide you. Everything in the body is moving, right? So chi is moving, blood is moving, the lymphatics are moving and circulating. A lot of them have their own little rhythms, but then they're also being moved by our breath or our movement. And so it only makes sense that the most ethereal of these substances that we're working on through the channels to find the actual acupuncture point, there's going to be some variation anatomically from individual to individual and also from day to day depending on how is their energy state? How are their fluid levels at the time? Are they more hydrated or less hydrated? Are they run down, right? That's all going to have an influence on where we're locating the presently alive point on that person on that day. So this is a beginner question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So how do you go about finding those points? How do you go about finding that place of influence? Well, I think there's a maybe many different approaches, but in the beginning, we're going to start by palpating. So we have the address and we have the address of the point. But even before that, 
we want to determine what point amongst a large number of relevant points do we want to use. Right? So we're going to palpate, and we're going to palpate along through the channels, and we're going to see maybe, one, how the channel feels, how is it reacting. And then we have our underlying kind of almost diagnostics that we've probably already formulated or at least begun to formulate in our minds of what we think. So are we looking to address an area of deficiency or are we looking to address an area of excess? Mm-hmm. Right? Because those are going to be different findings and we're probably going to get different influences on the system, whether we needle or tation or moxa or manually manipulate on those areas relative to whether they're kind of a little depressed and lax and cool and boggy, or are we finding little nodules and restrictions and hardness that maybe we want to kind of open and effuse? I think a relevant thing here too is uh, the the Japanese, and it's true, and I think in the, the Chinese classics as well, the root treatment versus the branch treatment. So the root treatment is more a constitutional quality where the branch is really dealing with why the person came in to see you. And that when we do a root treatment, which is foundational in the Japanese approach, and that's based on the um, yin tends towards deficiency, yang tends towards excess, let's first palpate and treat the deficient areas and give them support to see if then how that may be balancing. And that's the other part of rechecking the pulses. Is it essential? And I've been with many Chinese teachers where it was essential for the assessment, but they never check their point selection or the degree of stimulation or the combination of points by rechecking how the person's body is responding by rechecking the pulse. So I guess in answer to your question, that was kind of long-winded, I think we often do first is by the pulse in the Japanese six yin pulse position, what is the most deficient pulse that needs support? And then as we palpate in that channel, where do we find deficiency to support? I hear you describe it that way. And it's, it's stuff I've studied in the past, but I hear you describe it in this moment. And I think to myself, well, that's simple. And it's innately right in a sense. I mean, whenever you want to try to help somebody, regardless of situation, it's like, oh my gosh, what do you need right now? Mm-hmm. You know, so often if someone's in trouble, think of any place in life where someone might be in trouble. Often the first question that we will ask is, what do you need? How can I help? And it just occurs to me that finding the area of greatest efficiency and giving that some support, that's exactly what that is. Giving some help where help is most needed. There may be a historical situation there in the sense that I think the destruction that the uh, Japanese society uh, experienced with World War II, when they actually had close to a decade of deficiency of everything in the post-war reconstruction, made them tend more to treating deficiency and I think the Chinese tend to go more for the excess, to uh, more attention to dispersing rather than supplementing in the clinical needle technique. And that, that's a big difference of jumping ahead to the difference of obtaining qi, the Dutch qi, 
versus the arrival of qi. Because the, the da qi is something that the recipient, the patient feels. Is it strong enough? You get uh, that response. But in the more subtle is that what is the acupuncturist feeling, this dynamic relation? How is the tissue, the channel, the structures responding to the presence of your needle? And the more delicate you are, the more you, you can hear the, uh, feel the differentiation of the responses. And that subtlety, right, that awareness that we're looking for with the arrival of qi, when you can feel that as the practitioner, that's how we can really modulate dosage, which is extremely important. And another thing that really talk about in the traditional Japanese styles, we have all these patients coming in and they may be coming in with the same thing, but they're each going to get a different treatment. So how do we know that we're eliciting the response in the tissues that we want? And so, yes, we want to go back and we want to check the pulse. So we're going to recheck the abdomen. But very often, you'll know that you've influenced the tissues in a way that you wanted with your listening hand, with your Oshide and your Sashide. So you're working, you're feeling for the changes, and then you're going to have a good idea that you've elicited that response or that you haven't. And then you can confirm that with the pulse or with the abdomen. So this is the huge question that so many acupuncturists have with our work. Is it effective? Did it work? Is it going to work? Is it helpful? And so often it's like, well, I did these points. I sure hope it works. Let's find out in a week. You guys aren't waiting for a week. Mm. Is this helpful right now? And that's, I think, one of the hallmarks and, and often the unspoken hallmark. It's referred to when it's discussed when you listen to all of these teachers talk. But they talk about reading the body through touch and they talk about gentle and subtle needling. But the ability to adjust and adapt your treatment in real time to know, okay, am I eliciting the response that I want? How much stimulation do I need to do at this point? How do I know when I'm done? Right? How do I know? How do you know when you're done? Yeah. So I think it depends on one, you have to know, you have to have a purpose, right? What am I trying to do first? So often if I'm watching a student needle in the class, sometimes I just ask, oh, so what are we doing here? And then they get, what do you mean? So, well, first, well, what point are we working on? And then they'll tell me the point. It's okay, well, are we trying to tonify? Are we trying to disperse? And then maybe they'll tell me. And it's okay, well, you know, what about this previous point? And they'll say, well, I was tonifying here. I was dispersing here. But then that should not look the same, first of all, right? We should be, even if it's subtle manipulation, it should be different. Mm -hmm. And then if we're trying to tonify that area that's deficient, is it filling? Is it warming? Are we getting that? flock of birds converging in at the point, right, to know that we've gotten the arrival of chi. Or if we're dispersing, is it softening? Is it melding? Is it cooling if it was hot, right? So we're looking for these actual physiological changes so we don't need to assess the flock of birds if we're not there yet. I love that phrase, the flock of birds. Hmm. I think we all have our own kind of palpatory vocabulary that there's a pulse that I'll feel in people sometimes. I call it the ringing pulse because mm. it rings like a bell. I just call it the ringing pulse. You know, it's idiosyncratic to, to my practice. Other people, I'm sure, have a name for it. Maybe I just misnamed it, but that, that's what I call it. And it's helpful because there are things they will show up again and again and again. And, it, and to be able to recognize it and go, oh, yes, this is that. Or it might be that. Let's go check the pulse and see 
if it really made a difference. So you have this flock of birds thing happen <laughs> when the chi has arrived. Well, that's one of the classics. That's one of the descriptions of the arrival of chi and the flock of birds converging in at the point. And so when I first read that, it's hard to conceptualize. Right? And so, yeah, well, what does that feel like? I always envisioned the birds movie from Alfred Hitchcock and the birds all swooping down in when that person's on the street, <laughs> right? And it's all coming down and that person's just... But that's kind of what it does feel like. Everything is coming in and converging in at the point. With that, that's a we're trying to bring the chi. It's the arrival of chi. So we're tonifying. So the tissues are firming up. We're enhancing circulation. And so that's all coming into that point, and you feel it all closing in and around it. I have the image of those mermations that you see with certain birds where they kind of go apart <laughs> and they come together and the shapes will shift. And I think we see it in other ways. Like all of a sudden this big, easy breath occurs. Tension in the abdomen releases. The person may make a comment on suddenly this inexplicable feeling that they feel in their whole body mm -hmm. responding, this systemic response, that there are a lot of signals if we pay attention to their response. Yes, I do not often enough pay attention to the patient's breath. I'm attending to something else. Maybe I'm trying to be more subtle. But even on a very sort of gross macro level, just noticing, oh my gosh, that patient took a breath all the way down into their perineum. Mm. Wow. Look at that. That's different. You know, because you don't see that so often. What about changes of feeling in the room? Do you guys attend to that kind of thing? Is that useful to you? I noticed that initially, I think I get changes in the room. Sometimes you feel it when you first walk into the room, right? And you can definitely, there's the saying of you can feel the tension in the room mm. and you can, you can walk in and it's all tied together, right? So their breathing is going to be different. Their coloring is going to be different. The level of tension that they're holding in their body will be different, but you can kind of be aware of that when you first walk in. And definitely, I don't know if I try specifically to pay attention to that, but my goal is not to try to specifically to pay attention to anything and just be aware of all of the changes. Mm. You notice that the most on people that are maybe super aggravated or uncomfortable, or I remember in one of the last seminars last year that I was giving, I had a woman come in, this poor woman. She came in to be a demo treatment. She was calling to try to get into my office. I didn't have anything open, but I was giving a seminar that weekend and so I told her she'd come in and she'd just gotten out of the hospital. I, we, she went through this whole big thing and it was a moxibustion seminar. So it was really going to be building. Day of, it's raining. It's like pouring. She's at the school. She goes to the wrong entrance. She's locked out. So she's calling me when I get in. And then we had a whole conversation. I told her there's going to be patients and students there that are going to be watching. Are you comfortable with that? But she must not have been paying attention. And so we walk into the room. There's like, First of all, she's angry because she was sitting outside wet and cold, and she's already tired. She walks into the room. There's about 15 students. They're ready to watch her treatment on this little table. And so she's kind of taken aback. And so she asked me what was going on. And I said, well, like we discussed on the phone, you know, this is a, a seminar and the students are here to learn and you're going to get the same treatment. But yeah, it's maybe you're going to be un under their eyes, so to speak. So she was not happy about that. And it was very clear from the moment she laid on the table, the students kind of came across. She kind of had a couple crosswords for a couple of them that got too close and gave me very short answers, which was 
great for them to see because I was able to then read the body through touch. Mm. But the change in her, just the presentation, she was mad. By the end, she was relaxed, her breathing. She was smiling. She said, thank you so much. And all of the students remarked on how impressive the change was with what she came in with to what she left with. So you definitely can see that. And it's so nice. And people, you know, they're in chronic pain, they're uncomfortable, they're hurt. So they're not really trying to give you the business, but maybe they're just, they're sick of being in pain. And if you can just take it as that way and just walk them through and do the best you can to help them when they feel that difference, it's a, it's a great thing to see. We do have to develop a bit of a thick skin in the work we do at times. Mm. Not take it too personally. I would add, I'm thinking about your question about how one may perceive the field of the room. Mm. And I'm thinking of, uh, there was a period when I was doing a lot of osteopathic preparation and practice. And I had a patient that came for acupuncture, but she had had a lot of osteopathic work and energetic work. And she was hypersensitive. And even when I would touch her body with the lightest touch, she said, oh, wow, that's way too much. And she'd get me to get my hands off her body three inches, six inches, and then it was about eight inches off. She said, oh, that's just right. And she was teaching me, rather than me treating her, she was teaching me to have a different perception of the field around her body. And that then coincided with some of the osteopathic practice when I would have just have my hands on the person's body. I would ask, where is their energetic field that they feel comfortable with me? Where do I engage them? And sometimes with this woman, it was not only the room, I'd have to go out to the street. My hands would be on her, but my field would be in the street. And I'd start there until she would gradually let me in to actually be in presence with her physical body. So yeah, we those are real things, which often I think we don't pay much attention to until, in my case, I had a patient. That's where she was. She was educating me to a more expanded appreciation of her energetic field before I could get into the nuts and bolts of her body. So we have to be attentive with our attention, not look too closely sometimes, not, mm. not crowd somebody with our gaze, with our looking, with our very good intention to be helpful. That can be overwhelming for some folks. Good point. I remember Chip Chase would talk about working with the fluids. And he would say, you can take a look at them, but don't stare at them. Don't look at them directly. You can kind of glance at them from the side of your eye. Use your peripheral vision. Don't look at them. Attend to them. Don't look too closely. It's one of those things. I remember him saying that years ago. And it it's one of those things that's followed me, you know, just kind of sticks with me. Like, am I using the right amount of attention in the right way? Am I looking too intently? Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, because I want to be helpful and I'm looking for where can I be most helpful? Often, I think it's a bit intrusive. And sometimes it's the stuff that I catch out of the corner of my eye that sort of guides me. It's a very curious thing. It's interesting. They talk about with palpation, you know, 
broadening your gaze, right? So you can broaden your gaze on the pulse. Mm. We can get too minutely focused on what pulse quality that is or whatever, but if we can broaden our gaze and kind of just sit back and see how it feels, instead of just looking at this one aspect of the picture that, oh, I can make out every little detail on this corner, but now I could see the whole painting. And so I can see, I see the trees in the background and the clouds out the window, and I see what's happening. So that gives me a better understanding of the message that's being brought either in that picture or through the pulse. And I think it's the same thing with the body in general, right? We can all get too drawn into whatever it is we're trying to work on. And that even happens with us physically, right? Where where our bodies can take on this posture of we're going in and we're so focused and I'll walk past and I'll straighten up a student and I'll relax their shoulders and soften the shoulders, right? We're creating this this harmony, not only in our treatment, but in ourselves. And the more that we can have this settled, grounded state, and we can just be aware of all of the interactions that are happening underneath our hands, we can often attend to them better if we want to use that verbiage. But we have to sometimes step back and to be able to see the whole picture. Yeah. Again, I'm thinking of what Jeffrey was talking about a little bit earlier with shiatsu, going beyond muscles and sinews and feeling all the other stuff that's in there. I say for me, it was very um, enlightening to really be able to begin to palpate these different structures. Mm. And I, I think the opening enlightenment for me was when my daughter was um, had gotten, uh, for the fellow she married, she had a, an IUD, and she would get these terrible menstrual cramps. And I would treat her... And I could get the pain to go away for three, four, five days. It would come back. I'd treat her, same thing. You know, I thought I was doing a really good acupuncture treatment and based on her presentation and the pulse. I never relieved it. I could for any period of time. So I sent her to Chip Chase's wife, Monica, mm. who treated her twice. And she never had that problem again. And I said, Monica, what did you do? She said, oh, yeah, her Fallopian tubes were twisted. I said, you can feel fallopian tubes and you can tell whether it's twisted or not. Oh my God, I got to learn how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what got me into that whole osteopathic, uh, the appreciation of the knowledge of the different tissues and how they can actually be felt and supported and feel their inherent quality of uh, motion and work with that. So I became a true believer that there's at every level of the body, areas can be palpated. They have their, their message, even if it's coming through deeper from deeper layers emanating through the, to the superficial portion of the body. There are signals like the Hawaiian navigators that the long distance Pacific canoemen, they could tell when there was a seamount, when there was an island a thousand miles away, they could tell by the quality and directions of the currents. So we are doing the same thing as those Hawaiian navigators navigating the internal pathways and structures of the body. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. 
In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. As I listen to you describe this, the first thing that comes to mind, the first thing that comes into my attention, is this is very intimate work to palpate someone's fallopian tubes, to be in that kind of connection with somebody. You know, we often talk about cultivation in our work, that it's helpful. And we're all having this conversation in this moment. I'm thinking to myself, wow, am I ready to get that kind of information from my patients? I mean, part of me is, thinks I'd love to be able to put my hands on someone, know exactly where to go to help them. But there's this other part of me that's like, I don't know if I'm ready to know all of that. And I think if the person is not, if they're not ready, you can't go in, you can't get in. So acknowledging that is a valuable thing. That person's not ready for me to even put my hand on their abdomen. Uh, maybe I have to work more distally and develop a sense of trust and a level of open communication so that I can explore mm-hmm. other parts of the body in other ways. So we're kind of back to what you were talking about with that one patient who taught you about not too close, like hands eight inches above. And I think there's also an element of, Michael, like you were speaking of cultivation, right? and we're constantly cultivating and refining ourselves as practitioners and our technique and our palpation skills. So unless there's some epiphany of information that comes through into your hands, it's usually not going to be something where you go from step one, I'm not really feeling any of this, to all of a sudden, wow, I'm getting all of this information all at once and it's almost overwhelming. It's generally going to be a natural progression as you start to refine your skills more and more, you can get more differentiated into the tissues and into the fluid levels and the vasculature and the neural tissues. So it will happen in the beginning. When I first got introduced to these osteopathic realms, I actually came from the fluid perspective first. I was a body worker and an acupuncturist. And I, was, I had seen these different lectures and I saw the visceral work and I really was drawn to it, but it was almost, I wasn't ready for it at first. They were doing this listening at do 20, and this gentleman was able to track exactly where the body was hugging the lesion. Then he was describing what tissue it was and how it was going up and through here, and that it's probably connecting into the falx cerebri in the brain, but it was really coming from the right kidney. 
And I said, wow, that's great. But I felt at that time, maybe 15, 16 years ago, I wasn't almost ready for that. And then I saw the lymph work and it was more of, again, we're, we're getting into the rhythm and the fluids of the body and the motion and the circulation of the body. And it started to just tie in with more of what I felt where I was at with the acupuncture knowledge that I had in my hands at the time. Mm -hmm. And then gradually I progressed into doing more and more differentiation work and getting into visceral vascular work and the visceral manipulation and all of that. And at that time, then I was almost ready to hear it. It's kind of like giving our patients advice too, right? Sometimes they're just not ready to hear it. Oh, yeah. I've given up on giving advice. I wait until I'm not. <laughs> I think another thing that we're that Mark and I are wanting to do, particularly with this workshop, is that there are points that acupuncturists are super familiar with and use all the time, but they've never really palpated. I'll take gallbladder 34. Mm. It's a big one. But to learn how to really feel where is that peroneal nerve and what is its condition as you palpate it? Is it hard? Is it twisted? Does it have the quality of ease and motion? Can you feel the electrical emanations from it? Can you feel it discharge? All of these are manual appreciations before you even put the needle in. The same way that we have with the radial artery, kidney three, that posterior tip artery, is much more difficult because it's got gravity working it against it. And not that we don't have in the, in the upper upper extremities of the body, but really learning to palpate the strength or weakness of that artery. How is that source point, which is so big for us in, in treating people, the, the kidney source point is so primal, to really get to know it a little bit rather than sticking the needle. And in that regard, I think that the um, stronger heavy needling was, has been characteristic uh, since the 1950s, at least, and the Chinese approach is that they don't needle kidney three by my, they needle lateral to the artery between the tendon and the artery because they would probably perforate it and cause vascular injury. But with delicate needling, you can get it right on the muscular outer layer, the adventitia of that artery, and see it's by the quality of the movement of the needle, how strong or weak it is. So we really want to teach acupuncturists to begin to have more appreciation for these structures, which actually bundled together in between the channel system, the myofascial channels. And you can differentiate because the artery, nerve, and vein are all bundled together, but we can separate, we can differentiate. And see, is this more of a, a chi issue affecting this nerve, or is it a neighboring artery which needs more support, or is it the fluid circulation around that bundle? So what I hear you saying is there are some points where there's a lot going on. In fact, you're reminding me a little bit of the work of Pony Chang. Mm -hmm. He's just this like neuroanatomist, geeky guy who was looking at the acupuncture points and looking at how they relate to exactly what you guys are talking about here. Yeah, his stuff is great. I love listening to him. 
Yeah, I've got a couple of conversations with him here on the podcast, mm-hmm. including one on on some martial arts and stuff that he does that, that you may not know just how uh, out there he can be with some of the, the geeky stuff. It's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Worth a listen. But what I hear you guys talking about here is it's not that we've got these magical points. We've got these points of influence. There's a lot going on there. There's fluid, there's tissue, there's blood, there's nerves. And if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying all of this comes into play in the work that we're doing, both diagnostically, what am I feeling? And then treatment-wise, how is it after I'm done? Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And going back to the late 1800s, early 1900s with Isaburo Fukayo, who was actually more early 1900s. One of my favorite quotes that he had, who was a famous makshabashinist in the same time frame as Sawada. He was a contemporary of Sawada, but a little bit later. He's the gentleman who developed the use of the bamboo tube mm-hmm. initially with moxa. But one of his sayings, which I love, and I think it applies so much to acupuncture as well as makshabashin, at least in this style that we're discussing, is that points don't work. You work the point. And so what's happening? What's happening underneath the point? What's going on there diagnostically? And then, okay, now we're treating with whatever method we're utilizing. How are we influencing and eliciting that response to make the change that we want? You work the point. Mm -hmm. I like that. (laughs) I've been reinvestigating the Taishin needle lately. Mm. It's something when I first got to acupuncture school, they gave us these little spring load, or we bought little spring loaded tachines. And back at that point, I thought, oh, yeah, this is like a bicycle with training wheels. Mm. <laughs> it's like, it's not real. We're just, you know, we're kind of playing. It's, you know, it's kind of a toy or whatever. I didn't pay it much attention. And then as time goes on, you meet people that are actually using them and things are happening. At various times in my, in my career, I've used them a bit. A lot of times not used them, but lately I've been investigating it again. And it's a question I ask myself. I often ask myself when I'm wearing it, it's like, what am I doing here anyway? You know, like, what do I think I'm doing here with this person? And when I'm using a needle that goes through the skin, it's like, okay, I'm doing something. We're really engaged. Systems engaged, fascia's engaged, got all this stuff engaged because there's a needle in this person. With the Taishin, I truly have these moments of, what the hell am I doing? Am I fooling anybody? Am I doing anything? And then I have these other moments where the flock of birds arrives or a wave will come like up the channel into where I'm working and continue. Not a tidal wave, but just like a big wave. Just like, whoa, what was, you know, what was that? So increasingly, as I'm working with the tissue, because I'm paying more and more attention to tissues, because over the years, I think tissues have a lot to say to us. And I'd like to get your guys' thought on what a tissue does that a regular filiform needle doesn't do. That's a great question, Michael. And one thing I do for every time I teach, and uh, in my own mind, I think everybody should go to YouTube and see the videos of Jean-Claude uh, Gimberteau with his live endoscopic videos. And you see how alive 
what is in the connective tissue is underneath the skin. And this whole idea of Dan Bensky of finding the vector of engagement mm. is that those underlying structures start responding to the presence of the needle or the tachin or just even the guide tube, just with the slightest pressure. So the body is responding. It's a matter of, again, paying attention to what's really happening at the tip of the needle and the tissues, that interface, and the quality of the pressure, not too much. Oh, here's an opening. I'll listen and follow. It will go in that direction. So that for me, having that image in my mind of that the live quality, the response of the connected tissue is so dramatic that I, I imagine <laughs> that, that I know what's happening and, uh, and I just follow that. So that's a big part for me. When I worked with uh, one of the main teachers of the Teixin in the Meridian Therapy is um, Takihiro Funamizu. And uh, 2014, a year after the Fukushima Great Kanto earthquake, I went out to refugee centers with uh, some of the acupuncturists from the Sendai area. And some of those people were so depressed and so terrified and so overwhelmed by what they had experienced that uh, even the most delicate Japanese superficial needling was too much for them. Mm -hmm. And they could respond much better to the gentle supportive touch of the Teishin. I saw firsthand its power with people who their surface world was so broken and so disordered that strong, even delicate needling was too much for them. Their protective shield over the way she had been so devastated that you only could do the lightest supportive work. Uh, to see the effectiveness of Teishin on children that have pediatric Teishin, they have so much yang chi that it doesn't take a real needle insertion to make a, sh a shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Jeffrey kind of displayed it beautifully from the treatment aspect side. And I think, Michael, from the practitioner side, you're saying sometimes you're feeling this and what's actually happening. I think when you work with the Tatian, I think sometimes it allows you to have that broader gaze and not focus in because you haven't put the needle into the skin. So you're not so concerned about the manipulation that you're doing and how it's affecting the tissue. And then is the patient being uncomfortable? You can kind of sit back and maybe settle into your hands a little bit more and be more aware of those changes that are happening underneath your hands because you've taken that step of inserting the needle and also the response of the body. Once you insert a needle into it, the tissues are going to respond in kind or in not so kind, depending on how you insert it. Yeah, I found the more that I work with the Tayshin, my needling's changed a bit. I'm being more attentive with that. So that's, that's been a good exercise. If nothing else, it's been a good exercise for that. But the other thing is with the filiform needle, I think I'm more aware at this point that, yes, there is that directionality. But because it's such like a laser beam focus, off just a little bit is off. And I used to think that acupuncture points were bigger. And, oh, yeah, you just get it in and kind of get in that area and you feel something. And you get that little fish on, the, on a hook feeling and you're good to go. And, you know, maybe for certain people and maybe for certain methods, that's all just fine. 
But yes, as, as I've worked with Tateshi, Mark, you put it really well. It has broadened my gaze. I didn't realize that it has broadened my gaze, but you said it and it was like, oh yeah, that's right. That is what's happening. You know, and sometimes the issue is not a point, it's a zone mm. or a region. I'm thinking particularly of stress patterns with the temporalis and all the gallbladder points. You're not going to needle all those gall, but with the tasting, I can stroke, I can work a region mm-hmm. without being point oriented because it's a whole channel that's affected. Same thing with the masseters and the trapezius. Sometimes those things work better than actual needle insertions for people, particularly if they have headaches and the needle may aggravate them more if it's not properly done. We have so many ways of working. It's really a little frustrating at times. Like, am I pulling out the right tool for the right job right now? Mm. But it's also a really fun part of the work. It's like, okay, what tool do I need? It, It reminds me a little bit the old Mission Impossible, like the TV show, like years ago. Right, he gets the mission, and then he like goes through his book of you know different people. Who are we going to put on this one? Of course, he's always picking out the same people. But it's like this person here for the the electronics, and this person here for the uh, subterfuge, and here's the driver. We have these different characteristics at our fingertips, no pun intended, that we can bring bring to bear. Yeah, for me, that that question of the intention Mm. as in that prior geological interview was so important. And for me, I think well, my intention is I want to have a mother's touch no matter what I'm doing with the person. I want to have that feeling of support and connection and pleasure. A pleasurable sensation is an important part of what we also give to that person. How do they learn how to feel pleasure in certain parts of the body of release where they've been having displeasure or tension. So that for me, that intention is, oh, I'm like a mother with something on someone I really care about. And then I want to really be supportive. That is, I think, my primary intention. Then how do I find the map to do that? And if you're touching with a mother's love, right, which is what kind of going back all the way to the beginning of our conversation, whether we're using tation or subtle needling techniques, you know, we're creating this energetic response, but it's a physiological response, right? They've shown that that stroking on the skin and the superficial needling will release oxytocin in through the system and into the bloodstream. So oxytocin is the happy hormone, right? It's going to give them those feelings of being taken care of and the environment. And then we know the shonishin and the stroking and the superficial needling then is also interacting with their central nervous system because of that embryological connection, which is then going to regulate their autonomic nervous system and bring them into that parasympathetic state. And so we just have them feeling calm and cared for. Well, that sounds like a good way to go into a day of work at our clinic. I was going to say mindset, but it's really more of a heart set. Mm. Mm. Really course, heart and mind and written in uh, traditional Chinese is the same character. So there you go. Very fitting. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's a beautiful way to wind this up. Can you tell us just briefly about, I know you guys are going to be doing a class here um, in the near future. There's some things that you're, you've been working on and you're starting to teach it with uh, fluid blood and chi. Can you just give us a quick sense of what that's about and what you'll be sharing with people? Go ahead, Mark. 
So Jeffrey and I have actually been discussing this for a number of years, but we're really, we've decided to kind of put this together because of all of these interconnections that we've been discussing in this conversation with the traditional Japanese styles and the osteopathic manual techniques and how they're both stemming from the same place and reading the body through touch, but also about enhancing and increasing that level of specificity and refinement. And so we really want to give the participants who are coming in just an introduction to be able to start to read the body through touch in a little bit more detailed manner. So kind of taking the ideas of chi, blood, and fluids, and then kind of through our palpatory refinements, being able to see their expressions through the lymphatic, the neural, and the vascular structures and how they're kind of all kind of crossing together. I'm so geeky these days. That just sounds so cool. <laughs> Gentlemen, anything else that you'd like to share with us before we wind this down for today? I would just add that I think there's a, a tendency in our profession to have a, really a yin and a yang of uh, what's important. So there are the scholars of the classics that really want to extract the totality. We need to have the exact interpretation of these characters that were written during the Han period. And this is what we should follow or uh, Shan Han Lung. And then I think there are the other approaches, more expansive and interactive, and recognizes that as cultures change, the medical practice changes. And so there's no way that we can actually ever go back to the Han period and know exactly how they practiced. And we don't even know what they're quite exactly, what, how their needles were and all that. But we can take from the classics. And this is what the Japanese meridian therapists started doing uh, in the 30s and 40s and 50s is what clinical things that have can the classics teach us that Western biomedicine has not had. So there's that one trend of going back to the classics and reinterpreting. And one of the best examples of that is, I think, Dan Bensky's and Chip Chase's interpretation of Ling Shu One from an osteopathic, the first chapter of, of the Ling Shu, and gives you a whole different way of understanding the energetics in the classics that are completely resonant with the osteopathic uh, perceptions. And I would also bring up here, I think, the importance of Volker Scheid as a cultural, medical cultural historian that shows medicine is always changing. It's always adding and taking in new things, and it's letting go of old things. It's a, it's a dynamic. It's not a fixed text for the end of time. It's, it's not like we need a literal word-by-word -word translation of the Bible. We always have to pick and choose to fit our current needs of society. And in that respect, I would go on and excuse my long-windedness here, Michael. Uh, what Shudo Sensei says, that modern lifestyle engenders deficiencies. But people staying up and being electronically stimulated and not being in nature and eating fast foods and all of that. So people need more support because we're so hyper-stimulated. Mm -hmm. And so that delicacy and softness is, is something that's really important. And I think when I 
lectured in Beijing four years ago. It was interesting on techniques, and I was introducing back to the Chinese the Teixin and the original nine needles that they've forgotten about three of them. They were just contact needling. And the older teachers, of course, love these really intense techniques like fire needle. The student passed out on the stage when receiving it. But the younger, the students, the graduate students, they could relate because they had an urban lifestyle. They didn't grow up in the pre-modernization of China, where, again, there was hard-bodied people and the techniques were different for them. But for urban desk workers and computer people, we need a different type of medicine to meet their bodies and their needs. And I think this is what we're trying to do. That makes so much sense. And I think one of the beauties for me, and and I saw this as a student, and I see this in my clinic every day, and it's something that I attend to, which is, what is it that this person right here, right now, needs? What is helpful for them? Everyone's going to be different. And and we know that we've been taught this, and our patients remind us of this every day. And whenever I start thinking, oh, yeah, this again, and I know what to do about that, that's a danger sign because it means I'm not paying that much attention. So, yeah, thank you for that, that reminder and that our medicine is indeed evolving. Medicine evolves because the times are different. And the beauty Mm -hmm. of the East Asian medicine that we all have the great good fortune to practice is that it is very linghua, right? It's got this liveliness to it so that we can use it different places, in different ways, as is appropriate. It's always asking us to do that. So appreciate that reminder. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a real delight. Thank you, Michael. Likewise, Michael. Thank you. in the eighth grade, boys were required to take shop class. It was a class that taught us how to use tools and make things. I absolutely loved it. And even though the results of my work were clumsy and rough, the process of making something with my hands, of understanding a tool and which tool to use, that was a joy. My parents were, to put it mildly, not supportive that I might go in a direction that had me using my hands instead of my head. It's not that I don't enjoy using my head. I do. But there is a magic in the hands and an intelligence unique to sensing by feel. So today's conversation with Jeffrey and Mark, it reminds me of what I first began to tune into all those years ago in shop class and the joy of sensing and creating with our hands. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation and do be sure to tune in again next Tuesday for a mid-year look at this water tiger year through the perspective of pole star astrology. We've made it this far into the tiger year. Tune in for this geological exclusive next week. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that, 
It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.